This is Jack from the Horrible Movie Podcast. Each week, producer Phil, a guest, and I watch a horrible theater-released movie. We record our conversation, and then we tear that movie to shreds. We keep it family-friendly, so gather the family around the old smartphone, laptop, or tablet and join in on the fun. Just like all the great Studio DNA podcasts, find the Horrible Movie Podcast at Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere podcasts can be found. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide. Almost had enough wind for that. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. That's good for you. Sports fans, football is well underway. Basketball is on its way. Baseball almost done. All that chatter plus other random thoughts. It's time for Sports Yak. Brought to you by Rabbit Wigs. This holiday season put that rabbit in a wig. And now here are your hosts, Corey Mann and Chuck Freebie. This is your announcer, Jimmy Schultz. Thank you, Jim, and welcome to the Monday edition of Sports Yak. Hi, my name is Corey Mann. With me, not always, is Chuck Freebie. He's slightly under the weather, so we've called. we got a deep bench here at the Lassie Broadcasting Compound. Bob Nagel joins the Sports Yak. Bob, glad to have you. Glad to be here. Bob, let's talk a little bit about you right now in case there's someone that's going to be listening. Uh, we have friends that are listening all around the country now. We've got over 1,000 downloads on this goofy little sports podcast. And uh-huh. How long have you been in the broadcast world? I'm just beginning my 43rd year, as a wow. matter of fact. I um, was uh, fortunate to uh, get a chance to work at uh, the WSPT stations uh, back in 77. And uh, Notre Dame won a national championship in football that year. And the following March went to the Final Four in St. Louis. Uh, the only time Notre Dame men have been to a Final Four. And I got a chance to be part of both of those things going on in my first year. And people hated me. <laughs> you know, I've been in this business for 30 years, never been to a championship. But that was, was your first first gig That was my first year, yeah. So uh, w- when you were brought on board, were you brought on as a, like a sports uh, caster, a sports director? I was the third man on a two-man team. Okay. Uh, there was a new guy in town. Lynn Thornton had come to town from uh, Amarillo, Texas. And um, Lynn wasn't real familiar with the local scene. And uh, I had a good friend that worked at WSBT who said, hey, Lynn, you might want to have Bob, you know, take her on. I was pretty familiar with all the high school teams. And uh, How long had you been in town already? Well, I've, I've lived here since 1966. Oh, okay. Our family moved here when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, was the national championship year for Notre Dame football. So I <laughs> think it all has to do with me. But um, no, I had a had a chance to. Uh, I was uh, involved in a, a class over at IUSB with Roland Kelly, who wound up being my news director later on at WSPT. So it was a, a great chance to get started. And there were sometimes Jerry Bleck did the stats and color on the broadcast. And there was two or three times when he wasn't available. And uh, so Lynn would have me sit in and do color and do stats and, you know, was able to work my way in and uh, get some more experience and uh, had some great, great nights. Uh, Rick Majeros was in town to scout a Notre Dame men's basketball game. And uh, he was uh, one of the ushers up in the upper press box where we're going back to this year, which is kind of neat. Uh, said, uh, Rick Majeros, somebody from Marquette's coming. I said, oh, great. He said, when he comes here, I'll tell you and you can get him on for your halftime. So that'd be great. So when Rick Majerus came in, uh, I didn't know what had gone on, so I went down uh, during a break in the first half. I said, excuse me, uh, Rick, Bob Nagel from WSPT, we'd love to have you on at hand. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to him. I'm not talking to anybody. Well, it turned out as he got there a little bit late, drove through a snowstorm, uh, and it was a West Virginia game, which turned out to be the one where we had the big snowfall in 78. And uh, it started that night. And he had driven through a snowstorm to get here from Marquette, got here about two minutes, three minutes before the tip-off. And he was, like, so happy. I made it. And he went to the window, and he said, uh, I need my pass for uh, Marquette. And he goes, what's the name? He goes, Majerus. 
So we have one for Hank Raymonds, who is the head coach, but we don't have one for Majerus. Well, he's not coming. I'm here to scout. Give me the pass. Can't do it. So we had one of our guys, you know, in the ticket office doing what he was told to do. And Majerus, I guess, threw out his wallet. So I got about $450 in cash. I got my credit cards. Keep it if I'm not who I say am. Give me that pass. And then he said, uh, go get Roger Valdeseri. He's on the radio broadcast. And he, Roger was doing radio at that time with Jack Laurie. Mm-hmm. And so nobody could help Rick. And he got in about 10 minutes into the game, which is, of course, about the time I got to him and said, hey, could you come up and be on at halftime? I'm not talking to you. Uh, he was hot. Then I talked to him at halftime and saw him over the uh, soft drink machine. And uh, he apologized. And he said, then he told me everything that had happened. But uh, you Who know. was he looking at that night, Bob? Do you remember? Uh, well, we were, we were a pretty good team. And Marquette was, uh, I think, number one in the country at the time. So um, he was here to look at uh, the Irish, obviously. Oh, he was just scouting to watch the game. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, he came down to do the scout for Marquette. And Hank Raymonds was the head coach. Hank had been the number one assistant to um, Al McGuire. And then when Hank took over, Rick Majerus was his assistant. Rick was, uh, you know, if they ever do a movie, the Rick Majerus story, unfortunately, they would have to have uh, uh, one of the actors who has since passed away, Used to be on Saturday Night Live. Chris Farley. Okay, would be a that'd good, be a good Rick Majerus. Good Rick Majerus, and uh, and we miss Rick. He was a, a terrific guy and fun guy, and had uh, a unique style. Actually, there was talk about him maybe coming here to coach, and um, he always lived in hotels. He never had an apartment because if you have an apartment, you have to do your own laundry <laughs> and your own <laughs> clean your own sheet. You just you know that, that's the way he worked. So. He was a unique guy. You brought up the 1977 National Championship, and you worked in the sports department during that. Give me a big highlight. Obviously, the National Championship, but give me a highlight of that season, being that's your first time, your first go-around in there. What, what was that like? Well, I was very close to uh, uh, a lot of the players at that time. There was more access you know, for media. Plus, I had a good friend that was a quarterback in 74, 75, and got a good education on how things work behind the scenes. And Dan Devine was a head coach at Notre Dame at that time. And uh, he had trouble with Joe Montana. Joe would do things in practice that as a veteran coach, you can't you can't do that, Joe. You can't throw the ball late down the middle deep, Joe. You just can't do it. So Joe uh, would come off the bench and won a lot of games in dramatic style, and he threw the ball where you can't throw it, but he got it in there. And uh, Joe had a rifle arm. And a lot of guys who play on Saturday, follow me here, don't play on Sunday. And Lou Holtz always used to talk about, you know, we're looking, you know, if a guy doesn't, he plays on Saturday for Southern Cal, but he's not going to play on Sunday. In other words, he's not going to make the pros. Why not? He's a step slow. He doesn't read real well. He doesn't, you know. So we always picked on those guys. Well, Joe picked on those guys. And the rules and the pros are really solid because when Joe got to the 49ers, I had a friend that was on their offensive line, Steve Sylvester, and he said that the, this first scrimmage that he had, Joe threw seven passes, and five of them were intercepted. And Bill Walsh blew the whistle and called Sam Weishover, who was the quarterback coach, who went on to be the head coach of the Bengals when the 49ers and Bengals met in the Super Bowl. And uh, he said, Mr. Weish, would you take Mr. Montana off to the side and teach him how to play football? In other words, those rules that he was breaking and getting away with in college, can't do that in the pros. Those guys don't get paid to try to intercept. They get paid to intercept. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different – everybody who's playing on Sunday – can play on Sunday. And so Joe had to uh, adapt his game. They developed a little short passing game called the West Coast Offense, and uh, and it made Joe very effective. And Jerry Rice would come in the huddle and said they're, bite, they're biting on the play action. So they'd run a play action pass, and Jerry Rice would catch a 47-yard touchdown, and Joe was the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. <laughs> and, he, and he really was a very talented quarterback, obviously, but they had to find a system where he wouldn't uh, you know, he wouldn't beat himself by trying to – do things that you can't do. But uh, anyway, I guess started 77, uh, knew a lot of those guys. They they lost early in the season to Mississippi. And um, and then Joe finally wound up being the quarterback. They um, played Texas and whooped up on Texas and actually went from number five to number one to win the national championship. And uh, Lou Holtz was down at uh, Arkansas at the time, beat Oklahoma, which was one of the teams that was ahead of us. So he claimed he won three national championships uh, at, at Notre Dame. But uh, there was also an interesting thing that year. Alabama was number two, and they won their bowl game. And we beat uh, Snot out of Texas, and we got a lot of votes. 
and Alabama didn't win that one. And they uh, they always thought that was one that should have been theirs. But it was uh, it was a great way to start. And then the Notre Dame men's basketball team had that great freshman class with Orlando Woolridge, Kelly Trapuca, uh, Tracy Jackson, really good team. They had Dave Batten was the captain of the team. Duck Williams was a leading scorer. Bill Lambeer. Uh, you just had, you had so many people that uh, had come together and uh, – they had a great run. They got to the uh, national championships, which were in St. Louis that year, at the Checker Dome, and uh, they had to uh, they had to play Duke in the first round. And Jim Spinarkel, Gene Banks uh, had a really they were a really good team. Uh, Mike Jaminski, who is a broadcaster now, and uh, Duke had the lead. We had a shot maybe to tie and bounced off the rim, and we didn't win. Now in those days, they had. Um, Consolation game, the stupidest thing you could ever have in a Final Four. Who wants to play for third place? So they had a consolation game, and uh, we were at the consolation game. Obviously, Notre Dame was in it against Arkansas. And uh, Sidney Moncrief, Marvin Delph, and um, Ron Brewer were their terrific threesome that they had. And the game is tied with eight seconds to go. And the people from CBS were going crazy. We've got a national TV audience. Come on, twelve minutes. We get these guys out there playing exhibit, you know, and and they're really, what are we going to do if this thing goes overtime? And so Arkansas inbounded to Ron Brewer. He dribbled up near half court, let fly with a shot that went in, <laughs> and it was over. And so uh, that particular year, uh, Notre Dame arguably was fourth, which was okay because we were in the Final Four. But uh, Kentucky went on to beat Duke for the championship that year. And so, again, as your young guy getting started in the business, you're thinking, well, maybe someday I'll get a chance. You know, and it was like the first year. And then the following year, uh, I mean, there's just so many exciting things that happened. You know, 82, Plymouth won the state championship. 83, Penn won the first football state championship they'd ever won. Uh, 84, Warsaw won the state championship and was involved in their celebration, their lunch and everything down there. It just – it was unbelievable how many great things happened. And um, – like I say, the veterans were all hateful <laughs> because <laughs> I've been covering high school basketball and I've never seen a championship team. And we had, uh, you know, the Plymouth year when they won it in 82, Selp and LaSalle was, I thought, the best team in the state. And uh, they were down eight points. Uh, Plymouth was down eight points going into the fourth quarter at Fort Wayne, came back and won, beat, uh, beat LaSalle. And then they went down and beat Indianapolis Cathedral in the semifinal of the state championship back in the days when you played two games in one day. And Cathedral had Ken Barlow and Scott Hicks, who both played at Notre Dame. I mean, it was a great team. And Plymouth beat them, and then they beat Gary Roosevelt. So a lot of, uh, a lot of awesome things have happened along the way. Well, that's our show for today. It, it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in the, in the midst of all that, Bob, and for people that know you around the building and your love for Notre Dame, and Chuck is the same way about this when we do this little show. I, I love sports. I like watching sports. But how – how do you maintain and how do you keep track of you're, – you're a dictionary. You're an encyclopedia <laughs> of knowledge of this stuff. Where do, where do you think that comes from? I mean, you just run into certain people in your life that just know that stuff. Like, where, where for you, I, where does that come from? Well, I see the same thing in you when it comes to Christian music. Yeah. I mean, you know artists, you know producers, you know uh, promotional people, and it and it all falls together. And, uh, you know, Chuck Freebie is uh, very similar. Uh, you know, went through a real serious illness back in 2003, and I couldn't work for two years. And nobody missed me. No, uh, couldn't, I couldn't work for, for two years. I was blessed to be able to come back to work. But uh, they were looking for somebody, and we got to get somebody to fill in. Chuck Freebie is the— uh, his knowledge of high school sports is terrific. Uh, he covered high school sports for another station and uh, rode around in a helicopter and knew all the coaches, knew everything. Yeah. And then uh, he's a Notre Dame grad and uh, loves Notre Dame sports and loves uh, you know the time he spent uh, uh, doing Notre Dame baseball and he does all kinds of things on Saturday for football. So when they were looking at people and uh, our management team came in and said, what do you think about Chuck Frabias? Perfect. I mean, he's the guy. If, if I can't go, he's the guy. And now I get to work with him, and, you know, we go back a long way. Chuck was a, uh, a middle school uh, student in Elkhart and was involved in the press box and PA announcing for Elkhart events. And I'll never forget, and I tell this story about every time we're in Rice Field in Elkhart, but it was a hot day in August, and we were doing a game. Uh, it was uh, probably Penn against Elkhart Central. And uh, 
the young kid had prepared game notes and left them on our seats, you know, for this is the 19th meeting of these two teams and the record. And all that. Wow, just like Notre Dame, you know, not quite as much. And his mother had made chocolate chip cookies. And by the way, Chuck's mother is a great, great cook. <laughs> she does a great job. So there are chocolate chip cookies and also, and I'm looking down and coming up the stands with a cooler full of cold drinks was this young little whip of a kid. Couldn't have weighed 100 pounds, I don't think. And he's, he's battling this cooler and he's getting his butt beat. I mean, two steps up and then slide back one, and he he gets all the way to the top. He's got sweat running down. He comes over. He says, "Mr. Nagel, would you like a cold drink?" I said, "No, I I don't need anything." <laughs> but uh, that's the first time I met Chuck. And then when I was at uh, uh, the WSBT stations, he interned for me. Oh wow! Uh, so okay. so I got to know him, and I couldn't keep him busy. You know, I'd give him a, a lot of times an intern. You give him a project to do while the afternoon's going on, and he'd be back in like four minutes. Like, what do you need? What else do you need me to do? And and he's been that way. He's a tireless guy when it comes to preparation uh, for our high school games. And uh, man, I tell you what, he uh, he's always prepared, and uh, he loves what he's doing. It's something he wanted to do from the time he was a kid, and I think I did too. So uh, that's why he's my partner. Why though? How do you? How do you keep that information? Do you think it's because it's your love of the game, of the sport? Like, you were rattling off people I've never heard of before from 1977. And is, yeah. is it just up in there and you can access it anytime? Is that kind of just one of your gifts? It uh, it, it kind of is. And I, as I get older, I, I find it easier to remember 1977 and not so much what I had for breakfast this morning. So, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. Because it was too. much more of a highlight in 77 than it yeah. was. Well, and the bank of information now is uh, is covering forty three years, so yeah, a um, lot of detail. But the things that make it so special, and again, there's so many. Uh, I guess I'm in the process of writing a book, and um, the book. Somebody said you'll be the only guy who's written more books than he's read, so that's an old Lou Holtz line. <laughs> but there's so many great stories that have happened in relationship to Notre Dame, but also to high school. And you know, I, I think of uh, having a meeting with. Uh, Charlie Minkler was head of MACOG, Michiana Council of Governments. And he called me up one night at WSVT. He says, uh, come over to my office after you do the early shows. We're having a meeting at 7 o'clock. Bring $20. <laughs> okay, I guess we're going to play poker or something. I don't know what's going to go on. So I get over there, and there's about 12 of us. And Chuck uh, was a big fan of sports and that kind of thing. And he said, gentlemen, we're bringing professional baseball to South Bend. And this is 1985, 86. And I'm like, yeah. He said, well, I've been in touch with these people, and these people are going to go up and meet with the commissioner of the Midwest League up in uh, Wisconsin and stuff like that. So we need, we need $20 from everybody. So for what? Well, we got to have gas to get up there, and we got to take him to lunch or dinner, and then we got to drive back, so we need some cash. So there's 12 of us. He had a bankroll of $240 to do all that. And I said, what do we get out of this? He said, we get to sit down the third baseline on a summer night and watch baseball. I said, I'm in. It'd be <laughs> great. And that's that's how it got started. That's how we wound up with, uh, we you know, we, we sold the uh, the franchise uh, to a couple of businessmen. Uh, one was uh, a fellow whose grandfather had been George Hallis's partner uh, when the Chicago Bears were the Decatur Staley's. And um, the Decatur Staley's, uh, Bob Staley, was the descendant of uh, his grandfather, who was George Hallis's partner. And when George said, why don't we move the team to Chicago, he says, you go ahead, take the team, I'm done with this. It's, you know, this new NFL thing. It'll never come to anything. So that's how George Hallis got the franchise. But Bob Staley wanted to get into ownership of a baseball team. So he put up $10,000, and his partner put up $10,000, and they bought the franchise. So they were looking to locate in South Bend, and we went on and looked at all the stadiums. Roger Parent was great in his idea of locating the stadium where it is now because he had urban redevelopment money. He had different things that he could do. And um, so we wound up with professional baseball in the first game in 1988. And um, it, it just it was so great to see the whole thing come to fruition, and uh, it's, it's done very well. And the new ownership is fantastic. The Berlin family has just been great. And uh, as you know, uh, our buddy Joe is the uh, general manager and does a great job with that. Yes, he does. And uh, Joe Hart. And uh, so it, it is what they wanted it to be originally. It has to be fun, it has to be safe, and it has to be relatively inexpensive. And, and it's all those things. And, and I love to see that growth because uh, my dad played pro baseball for eight years. 
And so uh, I always thought when we started that thing, I can't wait for my dad to be able to sit down the third baseline. He did several times to watch baseball, so it was great. Who did he play for? He was in the Washington Senators system for eight years around World War II in Korea, which a lot of guys were. Ted Williams, for example, all the records that Ted Williams holds, he spent two years in the service you know, during, around the war. So um, my dad was in the Senators' farm system, and uh, their motto was first in war, first in peace, last in the American League. They weren't very good uh, in those days. And every every team had three or four Class A teams, three or four double-A teams, and so on. Yeah. And my dad left home. He wasn't 18, but his sister signed a certificate, said he was, born in 1922. So he left and, you know, went down to um, the minor leagues. And one night he got traded. Uh, if Minor league team back in those days, this was Dothan, Dothan Georgia, Dothan, Alabama, Dothan, Alabama, maybe. But you, the the manager of the team, and the general manager of the team, would also be the bus driver. So they would go down these back roads and you wear flannel uniforms. You're playing in 95-degree heat. And uh, so they're driving, in, and another bus was coming the other way. had broken down, so they stopped, and two guys got out and were talking. He had a flat tire, as it turned out. So he, my dad's manager came back to the bus and says, Fellas, loosen that spare tire in the back. Nagel, get your gear. What's going on? He's just traded you and a spare tire for a left-handed reliever. The paperwork will be along in about a week. And that's the way it worked. Wow. And so he had some great stories. And uh, Did he ever have a baseball card, Bob? I don't think so. No? No, he didn't have a baseball card. And, and he loved it. He, he gave back. He coached baseball and uh, was involved with it in Illinois. And then we moved here. Um, but uh, it was great growing up listening to a guy that knew baseball. Because when we were watching a game on TV, he'd say, well, if, you're, if you're the right fielder and the ball's hit to you right now, where are you going with it? And there'd be runners on first and second. I said, I'm going to throw to third. He said, no, you throw the cutoff man. Let him make the decision. He's closer. He can make a more accurate throw. Just the fundamentals of the game. Yeah. And yeah. so even, you know, I remember being with Paul Maneri and Jim Henry was the general manager of the Cubs, and Paul Maneri was his best friend and our Notre Dame baseball coach. And Paul was lamenting the fact that, guys that are playing for a top-20 team in the NCAA didn't understand the importance of hitting a cutoff man. And Jim Hendry says, I'm paying Lou $13 million a year, and he can't hit a cutoff <laughs> man. You know? I mean, the, the fundamentals of the game are so important. And the, the teams that win, you know, like I, I think Houston's got a real good chance of repeating. They just, they're so fundamentally sound. They do a good job, and they move runners along. You know, And, you know, when the Cubs were hitting home runs, they scored a lot of runs. When they got – a little bit cold toward the end of the season, you need a run to tie the game or whatever. They, Joe Madden doesn't believe in bunting and hitting behind runners and stuff like that. And that's okay because they've been very successful. But I, I just uh, I miss that aspect of the game when, when the fundamentals aren't adhered to maybe like they used to be. Okay. Yeah. Let's rewind uh, this past weekend. Let's talk a little bit about uh, – oh boy, and you, you got to see this uh, up close and personal. Let's go back to Friday night. The tweet that I read was uh, – I can't remember who it was from – was like, this is probably one of the best high school football games he has ever seen. And I was like, oh, i got to watch this one either Sunday or Friday night later. But I ended up watching it Saturday morning. But Penn Mishawaka – and you helped call that game. It was an unbelievable night. It was a, a great night for both the coaching staffs and both teams because they played so well. They also had a couple of turnovers apiece, which was a big part of the game and the reason it went to overtime. But uh, Mishawaka finds a way to win. Uh, previously, the last time they beat uh, Penn was eight years ago and before that, 23 years ago. So this is the second win out of, what, 32 years? So it, it means so much because Penn is so good. And Penn is so good because they have a large enrollment, but also they have a great coaching staff, a great tradition there. They play really hard. They've got some uh, really good players, but I don't see on that Penn roster right now, I don't see a bunch of guys looking to go to Division One. And in the past, they've had two or three. I've got a kid, Paul Moala, who's playing for Notre Dame now, who was their safety and uh, a big contributor. So uh, Penn's got a sophomore quarterback. They do have 16 starters on offense and defense who are seniors. They're program kids. They've been in the same system since they were in sixth grade, and uh, and they play really well. So if you're going to beat them, you got to you got to go beat them. And uh, Mishawaka ran for 473 yards against Penn, and I can't remember that even anybody coming close to that before. And uh, Sam Shively, the quarterback for Mishawaka, faked a handoff, took off twice in the first quarter. 
52 yards and 57 yards for touchdowns, untouched. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then Penn battled back and tied it. They were down 14 and tied it. Then Mishawaka went up 28-14, and Penn tied it. And then Mishawaka went up 42-28, to and Penn tied it. So it was just it was just unbelievable. So many heroes on both teams. So many kids making big plays. Uh, Ron Paulus ran for three touchdowns and uh, threw for another. And you know he got sacked on the on the last play of the game in overtime, and that gave Mishawaka the win. And uh, Penn missed the field goal at the end of regulation, and the kid then you know it looked like one of my putts. You want to make sure it's not short, <laughs> so you hit it a little harder and a little bit left. And and the kid's a, a terrific kicker. Felt bad for him, but uh, boy, both teams just so proud. And the thing that really uh, sold it for me, I was talking to people at the tailgate party uh, out on campus on Saturday, and people were flipping channels last night. And I turned on this game. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was you know people from out of town, just people that appreciate football, and they thought you know, holy cow. And uh, so uh, unfortunately, it, it it could be maybe the second to the last time they play. Mishawaka is leaving the Northern Indiana Conference, going to the Northern Lakes Conference, and so Penn will be in the NIC and Mishawaka will be in the NLC. Oh, okay. And can they work out the the um, schedule so that they can play? Which you know they should. Well, here's and here's the big question: How was the crowd that night? The crowd was as good as you thought it could be. It was cold. It was rainy. It yeah. was uh, <laughs> les miserables. I mean, uh, that's what you want to happen, though. You want butts and seats, and so yeah. you figure out a way to make that game work. Cause those are two high schools that are what yeah. seven miles apart. Seven you know, miles, yeah. they're all going to the grocery store together, like Chuck said on Friday. You know, yeah, the kids are growing up together, growing up together, playing each other, uh, and uh, just you know, so many good kids. What I loved uh, about this game. The running back, the top running back from Penn, uh, is uh, 5'9", 180 pounds, and really works hard in the weight room and everything else. And uh, White, uh, name is Whitehead. Anyway, he uh, he's not very big, but the top running back from Mishawaka, who uh, ran for 267 yards on his own, is 5'7", 170 pounds. And I loved it because we pointed out during the game, you know, young kids talk about, well, I'm too small for football. Yeah. No, you're not. No. Nope. No, it's about how bad you want to you, you want to get it done. And uh, and so it was a, it was a terrific game, and, and I love both coaches. Uh, uh, Corey Yeoman's done a great job at Penn. You know, and he followed Chris Giesman. You know, who wants to follow that guy? Yeah. Because he was so successful. Corey played for Chris. He knew the system. They've transitioned into new coaching staff over the years and does a great job. And uh, – uh, Keith Kinder is the head coach of Mishawaka, who played at Jimtown uh, during some of their great years, and uh, with Bill Sharp as the head coach over there. And then he came; he's been with Bart Curtis at Mishawaka for about eight years, and he takes over as head coach. And his first year beats Penn. Not a mm. bad start, not a bad, but a great, great game. Let's talk about Saturday: Notre Dame and uh, Pitt. Were you at the game? Oh yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Thoughts. Well, it was one of those games, and now uh, uh, looking back on it and also looking back the last time we won a national championship in 1988, we played Navy that year, and it was it was awful. And I think we, we won 19 to 12 or 19 to 7 or something. But I remember it was the day that uh, Digger's daughter, uh, Karen Phelps, married Jamie Moyer because a lot of the guys from the football team came into the reception late. And I remember talking to a couple of them like, what in the heck was it? I don't know. We just couldn't get you know couldn't get out of our own way, and we you know made some mistakes. Uh, Pittsburgh number one. You know we have a Notre Dame jersey has Notre Dame on the front with a number, and on the back's a big target. So when you're you know we were number five in the country going in undefeated, Pittsburgh can make their season with a win over Notre Dame, and they certainly didn't fear us. They came in, they played a, a really courageous game. I thought they did a lot of good things. Looking at the numbers at halftime, you know we're behind. Uh, but our quarterback is doing really well. You know, for the game, it was uh, Ian Book finished with 81% completion. And he's now one of the top two in the country for completion percentage and yards per game and things like that. And uh, he's playing really well. And our defense, wow, only giving up a touchdown. Now, the special teams gave up a touchdown on the kickoff return. So it kind of skewed the numbers a little bit. But I thought, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And then, you know, you get fourth down and, and one at midfield, and we punt, which turned out to be a real good decision because we stopped them, we got the ball back, and went down and scored the winning touchdown. And you win 19-14, to 14 and, you know, after the game, you're looking at the numbers, and numbers are pretty good. 
you know, for Notre Dame, and and they weren't bad for Pittsburgh, and uh, we uh, were undefeated. We're seven and zero, and moved up to number four. So all is good, but I think it felt like that Navy game back in '88 when you were obviously maybe the better team. Everybody thought you were going to win forty to seven, and we didn't. But uh, you know, 150 years from now. Didn't they go undefeated that year? Yeah, they, <laughs> I'm hoping that's the way it happened. The good thing is uh, the Irish are off this week, and this is a team that's overcome a lot of uh, a lot of difficulty, even though they're undefeated. But losing Alex Bars a couple of weeks ago, the big uh, All-America candidate at guard, was really tough because we got a lot of young guys in there in the line. We had young guys anyway, but losing Bars has been tough. And I think Pittsburgh capitalized on our inexperienced offensive line, made them do some things, and they put a lot of pressure on Ian Book and – they made some stops, but uh, we got a week off to heal up and a week off to uh, get ready for Navy, and we played them out in San Diego. And then we've still got Northwestern, and we've got uh, Syracuse at Yankee Stadium, and that's the Shamrock Series game. Irish are actually going to wear pinstripes on their sleeves. That's what I hear. Yeah. And then we uh, come home, final home game against Florida State before going out to Southern Cal. So, you know, uh, Lou Holtz had a uh, a tweet out the other day said, "If you're on a path that doesn't have many obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere." So uh, there's still some obstacles in the way, but the Irish were seven and zero. I was out of town, so I watched my phone most of the afternoon on Saturday, and I found myself keeping an eye on that Georgia LSU game. Mm-hmm. They lose, they move down. Let me just throw some stuff at you. Let's say we got a playoff game this weekend. Right? Can Notre Dame beat Clemson right now, Bob? I think they can. I yeah. think they can. Syracuse had them on the ropes a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Clemson has uh, had some uh, injuries. Quarterback was out. Um, I think Clemson's a good team. I, I think it really up until this past week it was a case of Alabama number one and then maybe seven or eight teams that could contend for that other playoff spot. Yeah. But everybody's thinking no matter what it is, you don't want to play Alabama for the championship because, you know, they're that good. But their quarterback got banged up this past weekend. And um, like everybody else, you know, you go through a season. I remember in 2012 we went undefeated, but the last game was going to be on the road at Southern Cal, like it is this year. And by the time we played Southern Cal that year, their quarterback was out with a knee injury. So we, we beat them 23-12 to 12 or something, and, and it looked like, you know, the Irish are undefeated. Then we go down and play Alabama and, and get hammered. Because we, uh, you know, that year we also beat Pittsburgh in triple overtime. We had seven games where we won by nine points or less. We had two games that went to overtime. I mean, 2012 was undefeated season, 12 and 0. Looked more like eight and four. Following year, we're eight and four. Looked more like 12 and 0. But that's what happens. So when you're seven and 0, you just look at, you know, try to stay focused. And Brian Kelly's done a good job of trying to tell people that our next job is Navy, and that's the only thing we care about. Uh, so yes to Clemson. Ohio State. Ohio State is is good, and um, you know, but Indiana put twenty six on them week before last. Yeah. So I don't think their defense maybe is what it has been. I think our offense is pretty good. I think our defense is really good. Nice thing about Notre Dame's defense this year is after almost every game, it's okay. Tell me your top two or three players on defense, and it's hard to talk about them without mentioning eight or nine or ten. They're all playing well. They're all skilled. Uh, we had a young kid that came in at uh, at corner last week and did a really good job as freshman. You know, in a game like that with a close score and uh, did a good job. Wish I could remember his name. But uh, we have a, a very good defense. We got great leaders. Uh, Tavon Coney at, at linebacker is is terrific. Drew Trank, Tranquil's playing with a broken hand, and uh, somebody said, "How does it feel?" He goes, "Feels broken." <laughs> but I'm playing. You know, he's got a soft cast on it, and he's playing with it. So uh, just a lot of heroes on that defense. You know, Jerry Tillery a couple of weeks ago uh, had four sacks and two hurries and a fumble, forced fumble, and uh, he played like an All-American, probably made himself a lot of money in the upcoming pro draft because he's, uh, he's really good. But a good, uh, a good system under Clark Lee, and uh, so I don't know. You know, you look at it in Ohio State, yeah, we can beat them. Okay. I'll leave yeah. Alabama over there for a while. I don't the Bears that. and Alabama would be a good matchup, I think. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the players have a bye week. What do they What do they do on a bye week, Bob? Biggest thing is you uh, you rest up. Now there will be some practices. There will be some walkthroughs. There will be some things going on. Now, the nice thing is it occurs the same time as fall break. Yes. So you can give the kids a couple of days off and just let them, you know. 
take a deep breath because from here on, it you know you you got five regular season games and if you make the playoffs you could have two more so you might have seven more games, so this is the one time the kids can actually take a breath. Some kids might get a chance to go home for a couple of days, and uh, and then they'll be back. And you're getting ready for Navy. Navy's a little bit down this year. They're always a tough challenge because you you don't play against that type of an offense very often. The option, uh, the way they they spread you out, try to you know find a weak spot and. And as Lou Holtz said, I'm going to tell you something. University of Davies, a tremendous football team. People are going to defend our country in years to come. I'm, I'm backing them. I'm for them. But we want to beat them on Saturday. But um, Navy's uh, uh, down a little bit this year from what they have been in the past. So, And, again, like with Pittsburgh, you can't take anything for granted. you got to show up ready to play, and you are got to be on the road. And uh, San Diego's a, a nice location, a lot of Navy uh, – installations out there in San Diego area, so there'll be a big crowd on hand, uh, rooting probably against the Irish, so it'd be a tough test. And you're going to you know, you're going to Yankee Stadium to play Syracuse and they're gonna have a lot of fans there. So it uh, one of the best meals, Bob, I've ever had was in San Diego, Gas Lamp District. Do you remember an uh, a singer by the name of Jim Croce? Oh yeah. His wife and son started a restaurant called Croce's and his son is a uh, spitting image and sounds like him. So and he, a, per- really he performs. Really good musician, yeah. And the meal, uh, Debbie and I went out there for our 10th anniversary, and the meal was phenomenal. It had a great, great seat in front of the window. And then you, and then I literally think, oh, they got the jukebox on there playing Jim Croce music. And then you walk in the other room, and it's the young boy at right. the time. Uh, and uh, that one of the best meals I've ever had. I'll never forget that. I love San Diego. Love it. We had a Jim Croce song as part of our wedding uh, uh, music leading up to the ceremony. You know, playing some music in the uh, in church. I can't remember. Uh, Time in a Bottle? Yeah. Time in a Bottle. Is that and, what you had? Uh, yeah. Jim Croce, legend. Uh, so if you uh, aren't from South Bend, the, the big thing happening on campus, of course, is that the stadium is being transformed for the very first time into a concert stadium with uh, Garth Brooks. I saw they've laid down some sort of... Uh, padding, if you will, on the field. I kind of wonder if uh, if you're sitting on the outskirts on the side, if you're going to be leaning back at all because there's such a arc in there, the field itself. There is a little bit, not as much as there would be on a grass field because you're not worried about drainage. Yeah. You know, the drainage is, is pretty much in there. But there is a little bit of a um, – yeah, you could be leaning back a little bit, but uh, it's going to be – a phenomenal thing, and uh, you know Jack Schwarberg when they put in the video screen, he said, "Now we can, we go to some of these companies and say we would like to do a concert in our stadium." Yeah, and uh, so it's going to be an amazing thing. Probably about forty degrees, might be a little, a little chilly, but uh, Garth Brooks puts on an amazing show, and uh, and I love uh, I love his music. You know, a lot of it's uh, country western. Uh, both, you know, yeah. country and western, but uh, it's uh, a lot of his songs have good messages. Oh, sure, and uh, and I enjoy that part of it. And um, he just everybody I've talked to that's been to see him, tremendous showman. They they likened it almost to like Neil Diamond. Some of the guys that you know you go see him, he's, it's unbelievable. The guy does two and a half hours, and Garth won't want to quit. Yeah, you know, and people go, hey, well, it's you know time to get home. No, we got you know we got. Got more, more hits to play. Got some more hits, and uh, yeah, so they're 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 working on uh, as we speak. They're they're putting this stage together, and then uh, Friday night, you were saying on our morning show, they'll probably have a big sound check. That's probably obviously not open to the public, but if you're in the vicinity, you're probably going to be able to hear something, yeah. which would be pretty cool. They are selling tickets for that, by the way. They are, yeah. Oh, for so, the sound check. For the sound check. I did not hear about. Yeah, that. my uh, my wife and daughter are going to go to that, and okay, they. they uh, they told them that there was going to be tickets available for that. So um, I was surprised, really, they didn't add another concert on Sunday. I was surprised, too. Because the stage setup is pretty uh, elaborate. And you said this morning, I guess they took the goalpost down. Yeah, one which, of the guys that works in the stadium tweeted a photo. He's like, no one remembers the last time this has ever happened. Yeah. And which I, is amazing. Now, here's here's my thing, and I've been thinking about it. This is where the music just kicks in. Uh-huh. This opens the door for more concerts, which is what they want to do. How many times right. do they use a stadium in the year? Six, six seven, eight? Six, six or six seven. Six times. Yeah. So you bring a show in like this, and Garth feels very aligned with Notre Dame quality. Right. I'll say that. Right. Who else could fit that 
Bill in the next five years in that stadium? Well, uh, been mentioned about other possibilities. Uh, Brian Kelly last week in his press conference, somebody asked him what kind of because they were talking about Metallica and that song Enter, Enter Sandman. Sandman. And uh, so, if they're going to play a song for you, what would it be? And he said, probably Bruce Springsteen. And um, uh, born in the USA, yes, uh, is kind of one. And Brian says, my my device tells me I've only listened to it like. 5,100 times or something, whatever it is. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if the band doesn't come up with that at one of the games in the near future. But how about, uh, you know, Springsteen? can the boss fill that stadium? I think he probably could. Yes. And the other thing that's, you know, we talked about this this morning too on uh, on the morning show, um, behind the scenes a little bit, but we were talking about the Eagles, and they now have a young kid that's joined them. Yeah. What is he, about 55? I don't Vince know. Gill. Vince yeah. Gill is with the Eagles now. Vince Gill and Glenn Fry's son is filling Glenn's role. He passed right. away. So apparently a spitting image, and he sounds just like his dad. The Eagles in that stadium, that makes sense. And, and you know, the th- the tie-in for me is is that uh, when Eric Parsegian passed away, uh, Vince Gill came and performed at the funeral at the request of the family. Yeah. And um, he has a, he has a deep appreciation and affection for Notre Dame as well. So, uh, well, I tell you what, I'm buying tickets to that concert. Yeah, that I, makes sense, Bob. That's a that's a uh, good one. And I'm a, a good one. I'd, I'd be surprised I guess if they don't have more than one concert. Once they see how it works. Yes. It's going to be really important to to make sure that you know, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed for this first one. But I think it's going to be a great venue for uh, uh, for those things, you know, years ago, uh, Bill Scholl was one of the assistant ads, and we were out in Connecticut with Notre Dame baseball team, and uh, we were at a really bad driving range, hitting balls with clubs that were like painted blue or something. I mean, it was awful. But we were looking to spend some time in the afternoon, and we got to talking about how about if we had a Christian concert in Notre Dame Stadium, much like we used to have here with the Pulse Festival. Yes, and I said uh, we could put one group in one corner at, say, 10 in the morning. They're done at noon. Groups in the opposite corner, they go from noon to 2. Another group uh, from 2 to 4, and then... So as one is performing, the other one's setting up, getting ready to play. So you're basically turning your head all day with multiple stages. Wow. And you can walk around, and you can sit where you want to sit, depending on, you know, if you want to watch all of them. But we used to have a little downtime in the Pulse Festival when the groups would change, and and the the band would have to take their equipment off and that kind of thing. So it's just an idea, but, I mean, we're talking. Lollapalooza does that in Chicago now, Bob. Right. The exact same thing in Grant Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Bill Scholl was you know he's the athletic director now up at Marquette and he you know well we could look at it but having that video screen is really huge for uh, concert goers metaphorically and physically yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely but I I'm hoping that uh, people enjoy Garth Brooks and it starts a uh, a system where we could have maybe some concerts in the summertime you know oh, when it's boy. a little warmer. It's not going to be bad. You know, October 20th is uh, a little late, but not not too bad. But there's a lot of things you could do uh, with that venue. You know, coming up next uh, June, we've got the uh, Senior U.S. Open coming to the Warren Golf Course. And uh, one of the logistics meetings, John's Foster, John Foster is the director of golf at Notre Dame, and he was in one of the meetings, and I said, now we're really concerned about parking because we could have forty to 45,000 people there each day. John said, well, we have 80,000 here six times a year. I guess, yeah, I guess what am I worried about? <laughs> you know, so if you have a concert, you know, and they're going to – could be 90,000 people in that stadium for the concert. Yes. And um, is parking a problem? I don't think so. You know, we, we do it, and we do it pretty well. Traffic in and out, safety. I think it's going to be a great, great night. We've got tickets to Trisha's tailgate, ah. uh, the uh, party before, and then we've got tickets to the show. I'm excited about it. Uh, next Saturday. This Saturday. Wow, next Saturday. Yeah. Well, Let's touch on one more thing that you are very closely involved with, and you've been doing this for a number of years, and you've got the ring to prove it. Notre Dame <laughs> women's basketball. Uh-huh. You'll be calling those games again coming up. Uh, when's your first uh, behind the mic? Our uh, exhibition game, October 30th. Okay, about and, 15 uh, days away. Yeah, we're going to be taking on uh, a team from over in Illinois, Lewis University which is a Division two school with a very good record. And that's what Muffet wants when she schedules these uh, exhibitions. You want a team that's going to test you. 
and a team unit would do better than an all-star team. If there was a traveling all-star team, they tend not to play together very well. So the team coming in is a good test for us. And uh, we've got a couple players back. We've got uh, four starters back, including Enrique Ogombawali, who had, I guess she made a couple of shots last year that were pretty sensational. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jackie Young, who's the all-time scorer in the state of Indiana, boys or girls, is back for her junior year. And then we've got uh, Marina Mabry, who's uh, another senior who will be back. We've got Jessica, uh, who's uh, g- going to come back. She transferred in from uh, Nebraska last year and was eligible just before the start of the season. So Jessica Shepard is back, and uh, she'll be playing in the post. And then we have some girl named Brianna Turner, who was an All-American before she blew her knee out a year and a half ago. So she is not only healthy, but she is in unbelievable shape and ready to jump in. We lose Catherine Westbell. We lose Christina Nelson. Uh, Michael Johnson has moved on. And also uh, we had Lily Thompson, who blessed us with 14 games before her knee went out. But there was just enough time to get Catherine Westbell back to nearly 100%. So how things work out, again, you know, you're talking about football. Can they, can they go all the way? Can they win it? We had probably no business winning the national championship last year. We had to play Connecticut in the semifinal. Enrique makes a shot to win it. Then we uh, play Mississippi State. We had three losses last year. Two of them were to Louisville. Louisville gets beat by Mississippi State in the final four. So we played Mississippi State and beat them for the championship. So uh, we've got some really good uh, players back. We've got a great freshman class coming in. Matter of fact, the uh, Notre Dame women are having uh, open practice today for season ticket holders. And then they're going to have a session where we get a chance to meet the freshmen, and I think everybody's going to really uh, add on to that group. And we've got a couple other players, Michaela Vaughn and Daniel Patterson, who are back from last year. So uh, we'll be preseason number one, I think, in all the polls. I think we have a schedule. We play Connecticut at home. We play Louisville at home. Uh, we're going out to Vancouver on Thanksgiving weekend to play uh, three ranked teams out of the field out there. So there's plenty of challenge. There's plenty of uh, uh, test for uh, for Muffet and his team. If we stay healthy, I think we got a good chance of being the best team in the country, and um, it would be okay because uh, they've earned it. They uh, what they went through last year. Um, well, four, uh, you know, I told the guy in the New York Times, four knee, four ACL tears. We had six ankle injuries. We had a broken nose. We had a black eye. We had a, an announcer with an ingrown toenail. And he said, "Really?" I said, "Well, you had to have something wrong. You couldn't get on the bus. You know, it's the way it works." So it was all good. How many years have you called Notre Dame women's basketball? Well, it's about 20. Muffet's been here 34. We had the contract. Uh, we used to do games just even though we didn't have a contract. We didn't do all the games, but we used to go out once in a while and do a game. Mm-hmm. Muffet was first. There was 200 people maybe in the arena. And I remember Matt McGraw, Muffet's husband, could sit at the end of the court. When the team went down the floor, he'd go, put in number 20. And she looked like, what? Put in number Quiet. And uh, so, I mean, you could you could hear uh, that kind of thing. And then we finally got to a point where it was like, bring a friend. So 200 went to 400. And the first time we sold the place out was January 15th of 2001. We beat Connecticut, first time ever. Was that Martin Luther King Day? Martin Luther King Day. I remember that. Exactly. And uh, Pack to Jack was the, uh, yes. was the deal. And um, Ruth Riley and um, Kelly Seaman, the L. Ivy. I mean, what an unbelievable group, and we found a way to win. And uh, I'll never forget the uh, people always want, want to know about Gino Ariema. You know, is he a, is he a creep or whatever? And I said, let me tell you something. It's the first time we beat him. There's a picture of Matt McGraw, Bob Nagel, and Muffet McGraw in a circle hugging, and I've got the game ball under my arm because when I, we, Matt and I ran out on the court, I mean, Dunbar's shot had been put up before the horn, and it went in. And so when we're on the floor, the ball comes down like right in front of me. And I, oh, wow, that's a game ball. So mm-hmm. I got it under my arm. And we're hugging, and there's a wonderful picture I have in my home. And right behind us, you can see Gino leaning on the scorer's table. Like, you know. <laughs> and so Muffet turned and, and like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got caught up in all, you know, instead of shaking hands, we're jumping yeah. up now. And Gino said, you know, shook her hands, said, congratulations. She said, this is great for women's basketball. You know that they're yeah. If one team wins all the time, so we uh, we got to win that year. Went on to win the national championship in two thousand one. Beat uh, Purdue in December by about twenty three points, and then beat them by two for the championship. Ruth Riley a couple of free throws. Ruth, by the way, did broadcast 
did color for me for three years when she was in grad school here. I remember that. And Ruth is now the color commentator for the Miami Heat. And I remember the day you kind of said to me, hey, we're going to do this thing now. She she kind of wants to get her feet wet. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, she's just thinking future. And I saw those news and I thought, you know, that's going to come in handy sitting there with you for a handful of games. Well, I'll tell you what, she is on my top ten list of people I've ever met associated with sports or whatever. From Macy, Indiana, which if you've ever been to Macy, it's like Appalachia. You can't believe a city like that exists in Indiana. If they called you tomorrow and told you that you won the drawing and you get a free house from Macy, pick any one, you'd say, no, no thanks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough area. And uh, Ruth's mother is an amazing story. I uh, was a circus performer down in Peru. And um, so Ruth's older sister came to Notre Dame on an academic scholarship. Ruth was the number one student athlete in the country her senior year and won the national championship. Her brother uh, wound up going to Ball State and got his degree. But Ruth went on to win an Olympic gold medal. She had the national championship. She won two WNBA championships, was the MVP in one of them, and um, has been an ambassador for the WNBA and missions uh, in Africa, working with uh, the children over there. She's uh, gotten her master's degree from Notre Dame. Uh, she's an, a, just an amazing lady. Just got married last year. She's, I think she's about 39, 40 years old. And um, hasn't even touched what she's going to do with her life. And, you know, like over the years you meet a guy, oh, I was on the national championship team in Notre Dame football in 1927. And, you know, yeah. let's get, what else? Well, you know, I you know, didn't do much, you know. And uh, so Ruth Riley has done so much every step of the way. And I would imagine that doing color for the Miami Heat is a step, but it's not where she's stopping because uh, I'd love to vote for her for president. She's just <laughs> an amazing, amazing lady. So yeah. as you come in, uh, this will be my final question for you. As you come into another year of broadcasting, are you the type of guy, um, is there something that you're going to add to your repertoire? You know, you fine-tune, you t- you know, you, you you turn the screws just a little bit more. I mean, you're already uh, one of my favorites in town. <laughs> but, I mean, is there anything you like, you know, last year I did this or the year before, I'm, I'm going to try to do this a little bit more this way, or you just fall back on what you know best? Well, I love what I'm doing. Yes. And um, I have friends I went to college with that are always asking, uh, you retired yet? I said, no. I said, oh, I've been retired for five years. I said, what do you do? I said, oh, I get up in the morning, I walk the dog, I read the paper, it's great. I don't, that's not, you know, and and I get paid to watch football and basketball games. Why would I want to <laughs> retire? And uh, I think one step that might, uh, in, in, and I'm kind of moving in that direction, is uh, is to write uh, a couple of books. I want to write a book about last season okay. about, because there's so many stories that people uh, don't know um, that are, they're just so great about this team and how they handle adversity and how they – you know, um, locked in together, and uh, I mean, each one of the kids is so special. Uh, it would be great to tell those stories. Not you know, not talking out of school or saying anything that was behind the scenes that people wouldn't otherwise know. But there's just so much, so much good stuff. And the other book I've been working on for my daughter says forever uh, is is actually uh, the working title is the good stuff, and it has to do with the relationship with all the people at Notre Dame, with uh, people like Moose Krause. You know, Moose went all the way back to Rockney. He was recruited by Rockney. Freshman couldn't play back in those days. So the summer after uh, Moose's freshman year is when Rockney died in a plane crash. So he was recruited by Rockney but didn't play for him. But you go all the way back to, you know, 1930, 31 with Moose Krause. So I got a chance to hear the stories. There's a, a book that I read a number of years ago called The Lion of Ireland. Okay. Uh, Mayor, former Governor Joe Kernan gave me the book, said, Nagel, you got to read this. You're an Irishman. So I read the book, and it was written by an author named Morgan Llewellyn, who turns out to be a woman, but didn't want to have a woman's name on the book because thought nobody would give it any credibility. But she did all this research. It's very similar to the movie Braveheart, um, but Braveheart took place about 20 years later in Scotland. This, this book took place 20 years earlier in Ireland. Okay. And Ireland used to have people that would set upon the island and uh, they might park their boat here. And then they would go in and uh, tell the villagers, you watch our boats or we'll attack you. And they'd watch their boats and then they'd go down the road and they'd rape and pillage and do all the things and take, you know, uh, all the belongings back to their boats and they'd leave. And the next time they would land further down and come back and get this village they didn't get the last time. So there was a guy named, um, uh, uh, I think it was name. 
Anyway, who united Ireland? The first uh, he was the first high king of Ireland. He united all the fiefdoms and all the all the little villages to fight together to protect Ireland, and and it, it worked uh, really well. Um, I'll think of it. I really will. Uh, anyway, I read the book, and in the beginning of the book, it explains that this kid became well educated, much like William Wallace did in Braveheart, mm-hmm. and uh, he went off and studied and learned la- languages and things like that. Well, this kid did the same thing, and uh, so when he came back, he was very respected for his knowledge and everything else. But uh, there was a, a, a guy that came to his town, and the name was Shanahay. It's a Gaelic word. Shanahay means storyteller. Now, in those days, you didn't have Encyclopedia Britannica or Google. So if you wanted to find out something about your history, you had to have somebody tell you. Yeah. So the Shanahay would come to town, and he would spend some magic moments in the local pub. And if you were lucky enough, if you were the guy that could talk him into it, you'd bring him to your house that night, and you'd give him a meal and a place to sleep. And then he would tell stories until everybody fell asleep. And that's how you could learn about your history. Sure. The Shanahay. So I feel kind of obligated to be a Shanahay because I've been blessed to know a lot of these stories. And I'm not wanting to write a book so that, you know, somebody says, well, Bob Nagel's bragging about he knew Moose Krause. I did know Moose Krause. I loved the guy. I had a great relationship with him. But he told so many stories about Notre Dame. And so when people, you know, say, oh, I love Notre Dame. Why do you love Notre Dame? It's because of the people. It's because of the good stuff. Yeah. And and so there's a lot of really good stories, and I'd like to share them because uh, – I think it's important. I, you know, people shared them with me when I was growing up in Ottawa, Illinois, and uh, we'd listen to Van Patrick and Al Wester on the broadcast, and we'd go out at halftime and recreate Daryl LaMonica, Damani Stickles, you know, uh, and we'd do the whole first half in the side yard, and we'd come back and listen to the second half. And you dream that you get to see Notre Dame Stadium someday. Not on a game day. Just see it before you died. You wanted just to get to the Holy Land and – and, and see the stadium. And then to move here in 1966, and they won a national championship. I didn't miss any games. You could walk around. Tickets were 450 or something like that. But you could walk around. Anybody got any extra tickets? And my brother would get a handful, and then he'd sell them. Go down to Kresge's downtown, get a malted and a burger, buy a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans, and go home. And I'd come home about 7 o'clock. You know, the game started at 1.30. Mm-hmm. I'd get home about 7 on the city bus or whatever, and – my mother, where have you been? Was it the game? Well, your brother went and bought herself a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans. I wanted to see the game. So I had a lot of, lot of neat stories that happened then. But then to uh, wind up broadcasting and uh, sitting in, you know, air-conditioned comfort, the 50-yard line, free food, and getting paid to be there. Not yeah. too shabby, is it? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Bob, great. thank you for filling in for Chuck. I appreciate you. I think if you add up all the, the stuff I talked, maybe three minutes. Well, yeah. But you just uh, – Time you, of you, possession? You've just given us the <laughs> longest sports yak in the history. But that's great. I, I love listening to you talk, and, and you are definitely a, a phenomenal storyteller. But uh, always an open invite to come down here and hang out with Chuckles and I. Well, I appreciate that. And I love what you guys are doing, too. I've been, it's uh, fun. I've been uh, – if, if yakking is talking, what is listening? Uh, th- that's a di- that's a different podcast for that's somebody a, else. That's a walk or a yak. I'm not sure. I don't know. So we try to crank out at least three episodes a week because there's always stuff happening in sports. So what you'll do is you'll go to wherever you find your podcast, whether it be uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Spreaker.com. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And uh, this would be one of those fun ones to put on a Saturday morning as you're tailgating, getting ready for the next big uh, college football <laughs> game, hopefully Notre Dame, on a Saturday. Uh, this is Sports Yak. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode, and we'll talk again a little bit later this week. And hopefully, Chuck Freebie feels a little bit better. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I think he feels pretty good. He just sounds better. How about that? Yeah, the chimney's a little backed up. So. And, and in our profession, you need the chimney to be nice and clear and yeah. uh, free of debris. How about yeah, he that? He did a great job, by the way, Friday on our game. He did. Uh, battled through it, and then Saturday he had some responsibilities with the Notre Dame game. and. Got through that, too. So I saw him upstairs after the pregame show, and he says, can you cover Monday? <laughs> <laughs> sure can, partner, whatever you need. All right. Bob, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Right. Another episode later this week. Thanks for listening. This is Sports Yak. You've been listening to Sports Yak on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode of this hot garbage rant. Follow Sports Yak on Instagram and Twitter at Sports Yak with two Ks. This is Jimmy Shorts.
that's gone. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.